Priyanka Chopra Jones unfinished Dear Papa much like the title of this book your story was unfinished with that in mind i dedicate the rest of mine to you preface 1 monaco biscuits and adaki tea as a child i never dreamed i would be in the movies or be a beauty queen or a fashion meme i never dreamed i would be in any sort of film light when i was little no one ever looked at me and predicted she's going to be famous that one no the journey toward my life in the public eye began in 1999 when i was 17 and my 10 year old brother had a brainstorm mom he said walking into our parents spacious bedroom and cool evening while i was in my room studying is it the 17 yes our mother replied is she taller than 5 foot 7 well she is 5 foot 7 my mother replied is she pretty Sure, I imagine my mother smiling as she wondered what Siddharth was getting at. Why don't you send this in front of her? Sid held out a copy of Femina magazine, opened to a page with a call for submission to the Miss India competition. Mom didn't immediately agree to the plan, but Sid insisted, as fate would have it, I would just had a professional photographer's taken for a scholarship program i wanted to apply for and my first professional photos ever and he handed them to her then when my mother pointed out that a full length photo was also required he found one of me all dressed up at a recent birthday party and cut the other people out of it to quiet her persistent son with no expectation that anything would come of it mom finally filled out the application and they sent it and the photographers of the next day without telling dad and without bothering to mention anything to me and that was how the public journey and my career began thanks sid sid now says that he pushed mom to send in the application because he would move back home about a year earlier after living with relatives and going to school in the us He would gotten kicked out of his room. There were only two bedrooms upstairs, and since he was a ten-year-old boy and I was seventeen-year-old girl, Dad decided the second room should be mine. Naturally, I didn't argue. Mom made my brother a new bedroom in the upstairs hallway between my parents and mine. She put a bed there and a little wardrobe closet and a table. Then she tried to spin the move as a good thing for him, but. He didn't fall for it. This is a hallway. It's not a room. He pointed out loudly, and this apparently was why he would told mom to enter me into the Miss India pageant. He wanted his room back, and it was a way to get me out of the house. Perfectly logical, my brother Siddharth. Eventually, he got his room back. Prior to my brother's pageantry subterfuge. I was planning on studying to become an aeronautical engineer. Medicine, academics and military service were in our family's DNA and excelling academically was expected. Both of my parents were doctors in the Indian Army. My mother's father was also a doctor and her mother was a nursing student. My father was from Punjabi Hindu family in Ambala, a city in northwestern India. His father, Kasturi Lal Chopra, 
was a subedar in the army, a junior commissioned officer who fought in Burma, the Congo and with the UN forces. My grandfather or Pitaji as we call him was married to Champakali Chopra. And after leaving the service, he started his own business providing supplies to the military. My father's older brother Vijay joined the army at 17 and his two younger brothers Pavan and Pradeep skipped the military and joined their father in the family business of providing supplies to it. My father's sister Saroj and Kamini, both younger, are women of uncommon graciousness and warmth. My father chose a path slightly different from that of his father and brothers. He attended army medical school and upon graduation served and practiced in the military for 20 years, eventually retiring as a Lieutenant Colonel Ashok Chopra, MBBS MS. While dad was a dedicated army doctor, his actual life dream was to become a musician. Given the music and entertainment weren't considered real career choices at that time, at least not in his very traditional middle-class family. He followed more conventional course, Still, he remained a deeply creative person for all of his days. A singer with magical voice, he was gregarious and loud, always laughing. If there were a crowd at a party, he was in the middle of it. If there were show at the army club, he had no doubt been the one to organize, produce, host and star in it. My mother was more of an introvert. Born in Madras, now known as Chennai, and raised in the part of the eastern state of the Bihar that is now called Jharkhand. She was also from a middle-class background. Her mother, my grandmother, Madhu Jyotsana, was Christian. Before she met and married my grandfather, Manhar Krishna Akhori, who was a Hindu. Her marriage outside her religion meant that she was shunned from the church she would been raised in, and sadly, she remained an outsider even in death. When her final request to be buried with her family in the cemetery at her home church was denied, both of my mother's parents were also involved in local governance. My grandmother was the first female in her division to become a member of Legislative Assembly in Bihar, and my grandfather was a trade union leader and served as member of Congress in Bihar. On any given night of my childhood, the doors and windows of the whatever home we were living in, at the time, we would be open. The curtains, swaying in the early evening breeze and the smell of rose and jasmine floating in from the garden. There would be a music, candles and possibly a cocktail hour outdoors, after which we would eat together as a family. Throughout my family, my parents loved to entertain and I adored watching them get ready to welcome guests on party nights. They knew how much I loved to be a party of any festivity, so they always made sure to include me. My mother even made me my own special ardoves, Monaco biscuits, delicious salted crackers topped with a small cube of cheese and a dab of ketchup or hot sauce, bite-sized bites of heaven. My mother was a combination of intellect and allure. As she would get ready to meet guests, I would study her carefully applying her makeup, creams and perfumes and then getting dressed for the evening. Her wardrobe was all color, chiffon saris in floral prints, solid hot pinks, 
bright oranges, deep reds and golden yellows. Her long dark hair hung to her waist and she usually wore it down in a braid or in a bun at the nape of her neck. I loved watching her on her makeup, kajal to line her eyes, lipsticks and always in a red bindi in the center of her forehead. I long to be her someday. Elegant, eloquent, impeccably dressed, impossibly glamorous. She exuded quiet confidence and total competence, which together with her natural sense of style made her magnetic. Whether she was addressed in a French chiffon sari for work or in a pair of white well bottoms and big sunglasses on vacations, she was the epitome of beauty in my eyes. Perhaps this is why as a child I loved playing with her makeup. She used to have to lock her dressing room to keep me out. But on those fantastic occasions when she forgot to, I was ready and waiting to pounce. Multiple times I was caught with my fingers inside her lipstick tubes. The red and pink contents smeared all over my face, coal on my eyes, one of her beautiful saris wrapped around me. How mad she would get. But perhaps what I remember most was her perfume, Dior's poison. How she smelled of it. How her closet smelled of it. How whenever she walked, she left a scent a trial invisibly but unforgettable in her wake. On party nights, my father would dim the lights and put Kenny G on the stereo system, a double Akai cassette decked with big amplifiers, which my mother still has. Soon our house would be full of officers and their pushly dressed wives, eating, drinking, talking, laughing and singing. I would be dressed to the nines, two sitting on everyone's lap with orange juice and my special crackers until I fell asleep and carried up to bed. Another perfect night. My parents met in early 1981 in Bareilly, a small town in the northern state of Uttar Pradesh, where my father, Major R. Dr. Ashok Chopra, was a general surgeon in the army, and my mother, Dr. Madhu Akhori, was treating patients in Clara Swain Hospital. This after a living Jharkhand in order not to practice in the shadow of her physician father, the desire to be one's own person runs deep in the family. When my father first saw my mother at a party, gorgeous in a sari with her long hair down her back, he knew he had to figure out a way to see her again and ask her out on a proper date. The next evening, he showed up unannounced at the hostel where my mother was living with her mother, who was acting as a chaperone for her unmarried daughter. The three chatted a bit and my father returned the following evening again unannounced. It turned out that mom was working a night shift that day. Hospital and asked to see her because what better way to engage the beautiful doctor than with an important medical puzzle to solve. I have a terrible stomachache, very severe, he said gravely. She ruled out several possibilities then gave him an intravenous painkillers. A few hours later, he said he was a greatly improved and he left promising to visit the army hospital for further imaging. That continued his speedy and miraculously recovery. And the next day, he asked mom if she would go on a date with him. Her mother refused to grant permission. So dad tried again, this time taking along a married friend who said she and her husband were having a small house party and my mother would well looked after my grandmother 
finally agreed. At the party during the third dance, Dad asked Mom if she would marry him. Dumbfounded, she said she wasn't ready to marry anyone yet. What will make you ready? he asked. Some bell will ring somewhere that you are the guy for me, she said. For the next two dances, he kept asking, Did you hear the bells? Did you hear the bells? A couple of days later, after they would discuss the things they wanted in a marriage and the things they couldn't tolerate, she realized that he was the one for her. Mom told he would now have to get her father's permission. After that, she was secured. Dad's father met Mom's father and in typical Indian family fashion, the deal was done. What would become an amazing 32-year marriage of equal partners began with without the accepted traditions of an arranged marriage and a long engagement as they married 10 days later. Clearly, Nick and I were slow starters. Only after my mother and father were married did dad admit to mom that he would never had a stomachache in the first place. And only after they were married did mom admit that when she examined him, she couldn't help but notice his killer abs. During a stretch of time in her teenage years, my mom, the oldest of five, was the only child kept at home while the rest of her siblings were sent away to live with aunts and uncles. This was during in 1970s, a volatile period of political unrest in Bihar. So it just seemed safer to my grandparents, both of whom were involved in state politics. To send the younger children away, it's quite normal in our family. And in India in general to do this, children often live with extended family for periods of time because of work, educational opportunities or for other reasons. Many of my cousins have lived with me and my parents for long duration, just as I did when I stayed with my grandparents when I was small, and then again with my aunts and uncles, so that I could go to high school in the United States. I know this may seem strange to some, but it's simply a cultural thing. In India, taking care of one another's children as if they are own is just part of who we are. It's seen as a duty and a responsibility, not an imposition. India is not alone in this practice and mindset. By the way, dedication to the family network can be seen in many other countries around the world too. During that period, when her siblings were gone, her house was quiet. My mother was free to focus on her studies. Her parents treated her like a young adult instead of like a child. Something she would follow in her own parenting style and she would able to develop into the fiercely independent person she was meant to be. She drove to school in an open jeep, a 17-flower child with her favorite music playing. My mother has always been my role model and my inspiration. I think of how she came from a small town but left the expected path of practicing medicine there to forge her own elsewhere, eventually earning multiple medical degrees, becoming a certified pilot and speaking nine languages. She is the one who taught me that I could be anything and everything I wanted to be. She is the one who made me overreaching seem cool. She is the woman I have always aspired to be. 
when my parents married my mother joined the army so now there were two army doctors in the family by the time my mother was pregnant with me they had been posted to bareilly although i was born in jamshedpur in jharkhand that's where my grandparents lived and my mother had traveled there to be with them at the time of my birth portions of my early childhood were spent living with my maternal grandparents while my parents were doing their postgraduate work in pune and establishing themselves in medical careers my mother's younger sister kiran also helped for me back in jharkhand my grandparents showed me pictures of my parents every morning and then i would sit with my grandfather in his rocking chair while he drank his tea and i practiced my abc's each day he would point to the tree in the yard an ashoka tree with a beehive in it and because my father's name was ashok and my mother's name means honey my grandfather would tell me that my dad was carrying my mom in his arms right outside and there they would always be there with me i saw my parents almost every weekend and during school and summer vacations i was always surrounded by family always loved like most little girls i was totally in love with my dad my earliest memories of him are of how he always entered the room with a burst of energy and laughter and also of how long his legs were he was 6 foot 1 i wanted to be like him so badly that i would trail behind him in our house pretending that whatever he was doing i was doing too i would try on his uniform with his pants puddle at my ankles and my feet outside his giant shoes i would spend hours watching him iron his uniform and polish the brass on the shoulders once i started school where i wore a uniform too this would become our own private ritual we ironed our uniforms together nightly and shined our shoes until they were glossy starting with him as he shaved before work mesmerized me he would dip the shaving brush into a plastic mug full of water then put it on his dark angular face and the white shaving cream against his dark skin always struck me as a beautiful color block i loved the smell of the old spice which he wore for years one time after he left the bathroom to get dressed i decided to try the whole shaving ritual myself i didn't end well i had to get eight stitches on my chin and i still have the scar to prove it there were other scars and other trips to the hospital after that like when i got bite on the butt of my dog when i swallowed beads contracted typhoid suffered bronchial asthma attacks i was actually something of a sickly child and required an inhaler to help with my breathing problems which could be triggered by pollen dust allergies and sometimes just physical exertion still use one there was also the time my father had to be rushed to the hospital and ultimately undergo surgery because i would put a beetle in his ear while he was sleeping i am embarrassed and horrified to admit that this because i wanted him to wake up and pay attention to me a note to self there are limits to what you should do to get someone's attention other childhood plaus for attention had less desired consequences 
when I was quite young, before I went to sleep each night, I would ask my father, so ke utke kahan jayenge, which translate as, after sleeping and waking up, where will we go? I wanted him to make a plan with me of exactly where, what we would do together when he come home from work the next day. And he did. There was an actual rule involving a promise that I would be paid attention to when he returned. When I knew it was getting time for his arrival, I would plant myself at the window, gazing through the iron bars that were attacked out on the outside and wait for the sound of his motorbike, that loud tiny poop 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 of the Java engine. As soon as I heard, it would race outside. And when he arrived, I would sit on the front of the bike and he would take me for a ride around the neighborhood. Plus, once I had my time with him. Even now, the thought of being with him, my twin, is so many ways. Makes me smile. He would head inside to see mom so they could catch up on the event of the day. As a child, I viewed my parents' relationship as a fairy tale perfect. They had their problems, of course, like every couple does, but they had one rule. They never fought or had a disagreement in front of the kids. I actually never saw them argue, much less yell at each other, not once, though clearly they had occasional disagreements behind closed doors. Tension would come in the form of things quieter than usual, like the time my mom came out of her room, headed silently for the kitchen and dropped a pan on the floor. Or there would be no flirting, which otherwise happened all the time. Often at home and especially at parties, dad would put on the charm, he would sing to mom, recite poetry for her, completely and utterly embarrass her. He was a creative and romantic and thoughtful, and I dreamed of having a relationship just like theirs. One of a true partnership and of romance, poetry and music. Who could have known that all that childhood imprinting would actually manifest in reality, just like those self-help books say it well. One of the most astounding things about my parents' marriage is that it was equal in all regards, from the way they made their home as newlyweds, picking everything out together, to the way they had mutual respect for each other's careers, to the way they worked together to do what they determined was best for our family, to the goals they shared in providing medical care and supplies to those who couldn't afford them. Both of them were also ambitious and they respected that in each other, which taught me that it was fine to have a large goals and to work hard to achieve them, and that marriage or even parenthood doesn't mean you have to stop dreaming big for yourself. I looked up to my parents as if they were superheroes, not only because they were my parents and I loved them, but because I always felt that being a doctor was a sacred work. Imagine a human hand delving into the miracle of the brain with a scalpel or a holding fragile new life. The responsibility takes my breath away. I have tremendous respect for the medical profession, but I don't personally have the lion's heart required for it. During my dad's posting in Leh, in the northernmost state of the Ladakh in a dangerous combat zone, a soldier was once brought in for emergency treatment with a bullet in his head. He was just barely alive. 
as he was prepped for surgery in a tent with temporary stretches in a makeshift operating room he was conscious enough to understand there was only a slim chance that he would survive the procedure much less ever make it home he said to he said to my father just tell my family that i was martyred for my country that i did, that i did my job my dad said you will tell them yourself and he did two decades later after my father died the soldier came to his chautha the ceremony making the fourth day after a funeral to pay his respect he had kept the bullet that dad had removed all those years earlier my mom did extraordinary things in her practice too she would see patients at the clinic come home to have dinner with us then go back at night for rounds all the while stylishly dressed she would sometimes work 30 consecutive hours between night rounds and unexpected labor and deliveries that were part and parcel of her medical life i will never forget the night she went to the hospital in a driving rainstorm to l- deliver a baby boy it was normal for her and dad to get called away at night but this time when she came home sometime after midnight there was an unusual amount of activity and excitement my grandmother who had come to live with us when sid was born was up and speaking in a low voice to my mother who seemed to be racing around the house groggy with sleep i got up to see what was a going on and found mom in the kitchen cradling a newborn with her arms she told me that after the delivery when she would return to her car parked on the roads outside the hospital she would hear the sound of a baby crying to her complete shock while the rain was coming down in a torrent someone had abandoned a newborn girl under the vehicle that night i desperately wanted for us to keep the baby this impossibly tiny thing swaddled in my brother's clothes gently my mother explained that we couldn't instead she said she knew of a couple patient of her who wanted a baby very badly but were unable to get pregnant she allowed me to accompany her as she delivered the newborn to them a different kind of delivery for her but just a dramatic there was plenty of legal paperwork that would have to be completed but i was unaware of that at the time focused as i was on holding the baby snug in my arms as we drove through the stormy night to the home of that waiting couple i will never forget the looks on their faces how the woman fell to her knees in gratitude how they both cried at the miracle of a baby showing up out of the blue in the driving rain during the festival of janmashtami the birth of lord krishna who was also born on the windy and stormy night and who was also carried through a flooding rain to reach safety that night i couldn't grasp why anyone would ever abandon a newborn baby under a car in the days that followed it was explained to me that girls were not as highly valued by some people in our country as boys were thus making them easier to abandon this was naturally deeply strange and upsetting to me i knew i was treasured and i could see that my mother and father were equal partners in their marriage how could it be that someone abandon a baby under a car just because she was a girl my pat- my paternal grandmother or mataji as we called her used to tell me that when i was born and people were telephoning to congratulate her the group of friends who were sitting with her would say after listening to the callers good wishes but it's just a girl maybe next time and while 
the story perfectly and sadly illustrates how the cultural message of devaluing females is so deeply rooted in some people's mind thankfully that was how i was raised and now the destructive message that girls are not equal value to boys is being called out with greater urgency and condemned around the world maybe things will change my parents careers as army doctors meant that our family moved all over india we were stationed in pune lucknow delhi leh and bareilly through i missed some of those posting because i was living with relatives or away at school we also traveled a ton because my parents believe believed in travel as the ultimate education a way to literally broad, broaden your horizons in order to have an understanding of the world beyond your own front door travel wasn't just mom's thing or dad's thing it was our thing and when we traveled together just as an our home together they were completely inclusive of me they never treated me as merely a child they treated me always as a person my parents usually got two months of annual leave and from the time i was very small we would used to leave to spend a couple of weeks with each set of grandparents every summer and then head up to the hill stations of the himalayas hill stations are towns in the hills of or low mountains that were often established by the british in colonized india as places to escape the blistering summer heat of the lower altitudes there are hill stations all over the country although most are in the north and with their beautiful scenery they make fantastic vacation destinations when it was time for us to head out on holiday my parents would pack our red maruti minivan license plate number dbb743 the first car i ever remember as having after dad's motorbike and we would take off we would go to raniket shimla and manali to nainital and komun foothills of the outer himalayas to pahalgam gulmarg and srinagar in kashmir dad would tie thin rolled mattresses to the roof of the maruti pack and the back with suitcase bags of clothes and coolers loaded with sandwiches parathas and my favorite spicy achars and off we would go every trip was an adventure the minivan would always be full of family and friends with at least eight of us jammed into it we traveled in bags still do my favorite place to sit in was very back dad had convinced me that a cramped crowded storage space with cushions and blankets thrown over our suitcases and bags was special place created just for me that it was my room i fell for it as i always fell for dad's charm my cousins knew better you are in the boat they would cry but one of my cousin kunal the son of my dad's sister saroj bogal used to join me there we were similar in age and that become our territory the best part of being back there was that when we were on smaller roads with little traffic we would keep the boot open and dangle out feet out back we would nibble at our snacks and wave at the occasional car going by as we made our way through the terrain most of the games we played during these long car trips were music related one game was antakshari where the last letter of the song one person has sung is the letter the next person has to start their song with when we were playing a group of game we would all be singing usually to one 
of the mixtapes that dad had recorded and brought along we would stop we would stop to buy guavas cucumbers and mangoes dad's favorite from the vendors on the side of the road then take a break for lunch near whatever stream we would seen from the car the fruit and the adults beer were cooled in the ice cold clear high malayan spring that flowed down from the mountains a few more hours of driving we would stop at a restaurant later when i was a teenager living with my mother's family in the us i took summer road trips with cousins other relatives and friends that reminded me of these carefree early childhood ones we drove through the states of idaho north and south dakota and wyoming one happy extended family the summer i was 9 we spent two months in leave when my father was posted there on a trip through the higher reaches of the himalayas on the way of pangong lake which extended from india to tibet i saw my first yak sample yak jerky and tried ladakhi tea made of yak milk and salt not a fan during those months in lay i made two or three friends who were my age and who were also in lay visiting their parents in the military we would run around the barracks which were warmed in the daylight hours by cool burning bukhari heaters and search the hills for little dome shaped buddhist stupas i was always out exploring looking for adventure trying to uncover something new my urge was to do something that hadn't been done before to discover something that no one had found yet i always wanted to be first maybe i remember that particular summer so well because that it's when india's former prime minister rajiv gandhi was assassinated by a suicide bomber on may 21st 1991 i was playing cards with some kids in the mess of the army barracks while a group of adults were watching televisions suddenly several of them rose to their feet it was eerily quiet and then one of the adults started crying the former prime minister assassination and its aftermath marked one of the first times i understood that what happens somewhere far away he had been in tamil nadu more than 2000 miles away in the southern most part of our country can affect everyone that the impact of certain events can't be contained i remember the silence the sobbings and the cracking of coal as the small heaters tried to warm the large mess hall which would never feel as completely safe and cozy to me as it had just moments before years later when i returned to lay to film the movie waqt in 2004 i discovered that the hills that had felt so massive at the time now seemed small and that the barracks we had stayed in during my ninth summer had burned down nothing remained of them but ash another set of barracks had been built next to where the old ones had been but they weren't the same of course the new barracks were neither the home of my memories nor my childhood footprints but they were the future they looked sturdier more comfortable and they probably all had electric heaters The summer I turned 11 or 12 I was really looking forward to our usual holiday break a few days before it began as I sat at the dinner table discussing my wish list of activities with great animation my mother gently put her hand on mine and informed me that she had other plans she wanted me to join her and my dad for medical camp they were going to run in a nearby rural village 
they didn't get regular health care. It would mean starting our holiday a bit later. And needless to say, I was angry and upset. Many tantrums and bouts of sulking ensued. But my mother was admonent at 6 a.m. on a Saturday. We sat off and when we arrived at our destination several hours later, I took my role of assistant pharmacist very seriously, helping the actual pharmacist distribute the medication and explain how to use them. We worked in a makeshift, set up beneath a canopy strung from an ambulance borrowed from my mother's hospital. The first couple of hours were a blur because I was still sunking, unaware of societal pressure my parents were navigating in an effort to provide care to all who needed it. But as the day progressed, I grew more involved. A lot of girls in the village who needed medical attention were not being treated. Mother fussed over their sons but were afraid to discuss their daughter's problem. My mother tried to persuade the women to allow their daughters to be examined. My father tried to persuade their husbands. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I couldn't follow a lot of what was being said and what was happening. During the ride home at the end of a very long day, I started to cry. Were the girls being punished? I asked my parents what had they done wrong. Why couldn't they get help for their problems like everyone else? My parents tried to explain as best they could that in many parts of the country and in a lot of developing economies around the world, parents didn't want their daughters to be seen by the doctors because finding a medical issue would jeopardize their chances of marriage. But I was daughter of the same country those girls lived in and I was allowed to have medical care. I simply didn't understand the disparity. I couldn't grasp the distinction between girls who received medical care and girls who didn't. Girls who had opportunities and girls who didn't. Girls who were free to make their own choices and girls who had their choices made for them. I don't recall now whether or not I made the connection then between what I had observed firsthand that day, that some of the girls of this village were not receiving medical treatment, and what I had observed firsthand two or three years earlier that a newborn daughter had been left under my mother's car. In any case, that trip changed me. My parents' humanitarian values already planted in me, took firm root. What I witnessed and learned become an unshakable part of foundation, informing my myriad of future choices and unwearing dedication of being an advocate for children, especially girls who weren't afforded the choices and opportunities that I have been. Privilege and responsibility go hand in hand.